Hello and welcome to the full Flights Out Racing podcast for our coverage of the 2013 Chinese Grand Prix. Okay, then straight into the news roundup with the first story being more from what's now become known as Multi-21 Gate. Was Weber goading Vettel and should Red Bull punish Vettel? And also, will McLaren actually come back to the front of the grid at the next race? Okay, and the third story we'll be looking at is the tyre choices by Pirelli and some of the drivers' comments from this weekend. And on to the news discussed now, and first up on the agenda is Multi-21 Gate, the well-publicised uh, Vettel and Weber dispute from the last race. Yeah, I think the biggest development in that was Vettel's comments at the interviews on the, I think it was the Friday when they do the um, pre-race interviews, and he he basically alluded to the fact that he didn't want to disobey the team, but if the situation arose, he would probably do it again because he didn't feel Mark Webber deserved to win the Grand Prix. Yeah, there's, I, I think, um, from the last, or from the from the Chinese uh, press conferences that he held, I think what came out was much more of the real, um, I think, aggravation or, or, um, or wounds that the relationship has suffered over the last uh, few years. Um, I think what you got at the end of the last race uh, in Malaysia was a, a reaction to the to everybody else to say, oh, my God, what have you just done? So he said, OK, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. But then I think as everyone has, has had a time to reflect and, and sort of think about the situation, he's come out and said, well, I, I apologize for for not for disobeying the team order as such. But quite honestly, um, Mark has never supported the team uh, in the past, so I don't see any reason why I should in that instance. That's the general feeling that I got. Um, now, whether you agree with that or not, I think is is another matter generally. But I think it's it's well, at least it's shown is that it's definitely started to come out in the wash. I think now. Yeah, I think sort of um, what, what Vettel was alluding to was the fact that oh, I think I, I think he was asked the question and he didn't deny it. He kind of said um, mm. that he was inadvertently, in in a way, paying Weber back for things that he had done to him yeah. over the course. And I, I think Brazil was mentioned actually in the interview as well while they were doing it. So it's um, they, I think he was directly asked whether he was paying Weber back for that, and he kind of responded as a indirectly, maybe I was kind of sort of answer. So. Mm. It shows that that's definitely been simmering for a long time and those sort of things are stuck in his mind just waiting to come out, I think, when the, the need arises or the, the moment comes up. Can he be punished? To be quite honest, I can't see how they can punish him. The only thing they can do, like we said at the end of the last podcast when we was talking about it then, the only thing they can really threaten him with is you won't have a race seat if you do it again. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been some or very few um, historical examples which can't um, take to the table now. But I know that uh, I think, you know, there's been commentary recently about some very few examples in the past where drivers have been directly um, penalised for, for certain actions. And I, I'm not too sure about this one, whether it's just a general case of the fact that they, they can't punish him because he's too much of a superstar and he can win in the championship. Because I think if you... Um, as I say, this all goes back down to personally um, ironing these things out at the start. And I think back in 2010, this should have been ironed out there and then. Um, and I think it would have been much more clearer uh, now. I think the issue is is that it hasn't quite been um, clarified and settled as much as I think as as I think Red Bull have suggested. You know, basically what I'm trying to say is I think um, with Vettel um, doing it again to, uh, this time round, I think you got the scenario where if you punish him. Um, yes, you do your, you, yourselves as a team in worse because obviously one of your drivers would be disadvantaged. Yeah, that um, was, sorry, just, just to cut in on you, going back to saying things that have been reported in the press about it happening in previous times. Mm. I think this is the big thing that, or the big difference this time around 
that has, has also come up in the press is in those previous instances, they've generally been midfield teams and yes. not teams that have been fighting for the championship. So like I say, they've only hindered themselves by losing a few points. Whereas if Red Bull choose to do anything now, because of the situation as it stands, they put themselves in the frame for throwing away the title if they overreact or if they do end up banning him for a race. And if the points that he then loses in that race costs them the championship, that's going to, I think, look even worse than if they don't punish him. Mm. Then on the flip side, I suppose, if um, Vettel and Weber crash into each other on the final race and lose both the title and the constructors, they've also lost it because they haven't resolved it. So I suppose it's, yeah, exactly, yeah. it's, it's um, you know, six of one and half a dozen of the other, which goes back to my point, really, that, you know, I think if if it's absolutely clarified right at the beginning when the seeds are starting to be sown, I think personally, it's probably easy for me to say now that that's where it needs to be needs to be ironed out. I think the issue now they've got is, I mean, I don't personally feel though if you punish the driver or take him out for a seat, I don't know if a team can do that if they can put in the reserve driver for one race and yes, they, yes, that, they can. Yeah, it's their choice yeah. whether they sit in the car, but it's I mean, obviously it's my, detrimental yeah. to the, to their race if they do it. Um, you could say that, but then I suppose they still have another car running and it would be very interesting to slap another driver in straight away to see how he actually performs. I mean, from my personal perspective, I think that, you know, if he has still done it and one of the clear contract agreements from 2010 or whatever or agreements that they had with the team was that you would sit out a race if you disobeyed a direct team order, that um, the reserve driver, which I believe is Buemi, um, would come straight into the seat for that one race. Um is a big is a much bigger punishment because a driver doesn't want another driver a third driver coming in straight away does he especially if he's performing better out of the two um usual cars um to to sort of show him up so it'd be quite a big punishment but then again why would sebastian vettel then come back into the car and have the ump for the rest of the season or not perform because he's only doing himself in yeah so you know personally i feel it's still an effective effective punishment um, but yes, you do potentially take out one of your better drivers as a result for one race, which I completely agree, you know, does have an impact. So it's a tricky scenario, but I think ultimately, from my perspective, I think if you if you agree this very specifically and concisely up front, I think you, you avoid it or the driver has to, as a matter of, uh, you know, respect and factual agreement, you know, take the punishments that come their way. But I think it's quite clearly now that uh, from recent conversations uh, I think had with the, the head of Red Bull that, you know, they are the team orders are going to be quote unquote reduced. Yeah. I think that as well, from reading some of the stuff that come out just just afterwards with sort of people's tweets and things like that, um, I think Martin Brundle had quite a good idea where he said he wouldn't get rid of team orders completely, or he alluded to the fact he wouldn't get rid of team orders completely, but he would have in both the driver's contracts, you're free to race to the best of your abilities. If you crash, you then share basically all the costs of the damages of the car, anything you've lost the team in revenue. And if it then has a knock-on effect to losing anything else in ways of, uh, of, of any money, basically, they then have to make it up from their own pockets, which I thought, that's quite a good way of doing it, because it's not exactly a fine. You're actually going to lose the value of what you've done. So the more serious the incident is, and of course, damaging two Formula One cars, the, the bill for repairing those isn't going to be cheap. So it's probably going to be bigger than any fine they could impose anyway. So maybe I thought that was an interesting slant on maybe a different way of going about a punishment, just like say setting the ground, work, ground rules for this is exactly what will happen. And it might be monetary. It might be, like I say, just a, a course and of action that's already predefined before the race even goes ahead. It is, but I wonder whether it's hard. It's it's quite hard to realise the revenue lost as a result of, say, something which might have caused the team 
um, a championship or a title. Um, I suppose you could take it as points value, and then you then you add the points in that they would have got. Say they finished in the positions they were in, like one and two. If oh, they lost the right, one yeah. two, you take the points out, and then I, I think you could probably you could equate a value to the amount of points that you lost. I think that's probably mm. what Martin Brundle was getting at. I think it is an interesting point, but I suppose can you always be sure that you're going to get a black and white situation where you can pin the fault on either the driver or or the other driver or the team? Um, I, I would say that if in any situation, even if one, unless it was clear one of them rammed into the side of the other one, if one of them chose not to back off, as in everybody says it's been Vettel being over-aggressive on Weber and Weber not backing off, but I would say that the not backing off is just as good as being the one that's attacking in the first place. And if if that's a situation that comes out, and like I say, unless one rams into the other, both should just share the blame equally, I think, in that situation. I suppose the black and white scenario you could say is whether it's a, it's a, um, a not following of team orders, of which um, I suppose the only thing you've got to clarify with the drivers is the situation where they might not have understood, um, in inverted commas. Yeah, that's it. I think um, like I say, the, yeah. the defence the that Vettel jumped to Yeah, in, in this particular circumstance. Yeah. But sort of moving it on slightly from that, do you think that that shows a weakness in Christian Horner's leadership, the fact that he's now seen to have not imposed um, any punishment on Vettel, does that sort of kind of send the message that um, Vettel can disobey what is effectively his boss and then get away scot-free with it? I, I, I do think a little bit, and for the reason why I say that is because I think now, of course, what you've now seen is actually, if anything, Vettel um, either influencing or contributing to the decision that team order has become reduced. So you see that an influence that... Um, you know, but and this comes from the top of, of Red Bull, though. So I don't think it's Christian Horner's decision that you know, okay, really, we should be racing now. Whilst I'm, I'm not saying for one second that team orders are a good idea or a bad idea. They are, they are in varying degrees between the teams um, implemented, either you know, officially or unofficially, um, depending on on what the truth is. But I think, um, yeah, I think personally, I think Vettel has uh, has influenced things, whether whether that was intentional or not. It has happened. And I think as a result, I think Christian Horner's authority has been undermined a little bit because, you know, he's been very much about follow the team's agreement, follow the team's agreement. Vettel then just doesn't. And then as it's come out, um, it's been taken to the top and the top have said, well, actually, from now on, it needs to be more like how Vettel behaved. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, cha- <laughs> we'll change the rules now it, it yeah, afterwards yeah. to suit the situation yeah. that happened then to stop mm. it happening again. But like you say, swinging it most definitely in Vettel's favour. I think so, but then I suppose now, from Weber's perspective, it's like, well, okay, now it's now it's even even ground again, you know. Yeah. And perhaps that, you know, apart from Ferrari, there are no other teams that I'm aware of that formally um, invoke a, a a very strong team orders from the outset. I, know, well, I, think, know, I think it'd be unfair to say there isn't any that do it. I don't think there's any that have that, come to yeah. the front that you've seen it. Because right, yeah. I, I would personally say how, if Grosjean and Raikkonen were closer together, Lotus would probably stick to Raikkonen as a very, very, mm. very obvious number one and ask yeah. um, Grosjean to get out of the way for him. But the fact that but not he's so far, yes. yeah, yeah, and I think the fact that he's so far ahead of him, it we'll, we we it's won't know if it's official or unofficial because the situation hasn't arisen. So. Mm. It's yeah. only where Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes are the only teams really where both the drivers this season have been close enough together. Well, of the top teams anyway, that you would see that clear number one, number two structure coming mm. out. 
Yeah, well, I, I suppose it's clear now. As I say, hopefully that um, it will mean that we'll, we'll really see them racing together where the situation, um, you know, is uh, allows for it. Um, and we'll just see if that if that works out better or worse um, throughout the season. Yeah, I think we've um, said about Christian Horner's leadership as well in the whole thing. I think that if he set a marker down now and said that, OK, you, you've done it once, Seb, you've had your telling off and now we now we move on. Don't do it again, basically. The, the real test of his leadership is going to come is if Vettel now disobeys team orders again in the future. And I think we just have to hold fire on, on his leadership until that happens mm. again, or if that happens again. And then we'll yeah. see what, what he does. And if he caves in again, I think he's he's lost any kind of credibility as a boss. And he, he, that may even be the sort of thing that would push him over the edge and he would actually have to resign his post if it happened again and he didn't do anything. It's a tricky one because, I mean, I suppose everyone's got their own style of leadership, etc. And some people are very hands-off, some people are very hands-on. And he suggests to me that he's very much more of a hands-off kind of, we'll let you go and, and do your thing. Um, but the, but problem I is, suppose... the problem is, though, then, but if you have to impose, if there is a case where you have to impose your leadership and it's not followed, then yeah, you can only be true. hands-off to a certain point, I think. You, you can, but then I suppose the other problem is the, the, the authority has been, in my opinion, diluted a bit as a result of the team orders are now long, no longer there. Mm. And to what extent are the team orders no longer there? You know, I mean, when it really comes to it and, you know, Vettel could win this, the season again this year and, and, and Weber takes him out, then you could say, well, OK, that's, you know, not intentional, obviously, but if that's a scenario which happens because they're racing um, against each other, you know, that, that could be a, a season decider. So we'll have to wait and see. OK, we lead on from a front-running team to a former front-running team now of McLaren. Do we think they can get back to winning ways and get to the front of the grid, or do we think that, that is pretty much their season done? Um, I'd say it's quite early to say. I mean, you know, three three races in. I think uh, we've been getting slightly mixed messages from, uh, well, since the Malaysian race, in my opinion, because I think um, the McLaren team have been saying, OK, um, at the early stages of the you know the week okay we've got we're bringing some upgrades we think you know we're, we're looking forward to um to to sort of improving the car etc and then when it got to practice it was like oh um yes um these aren't going to you know make a massive improvement here and i think that was um uh, aligned to some of button's quotes i think um, as well sorry just to sort of jump in on you on that one as well i think the problem that well the problem that i'm seeing with what they've said now is um as they bought the upgrades they said a lot of them were reactionary to what they had found out as being their problem so it does now make me wonder, have they even actually found out what the problem is or have they mm. found out what the problem is? They've not been able to sort it or is the problem that they thought it was not even the problem. And there's maybe a more serious problem or something they still haven't seen mm. in the car. So are they even looking in the right area still? I, yeah, but I also believe, though, I think, I think it was uh, Sam Michael that said this in a in a BBC interview that um, uh, actually at the paddock, I think, during practice, he mentioned that. Uh, we're bringing a combination of development upgrades, which are just a matter of the course at this stage of the race. And as you said, reactionary updates. Now, my question is, what if those reactionary updates um, adversely affect the upgrades that were due to come anyway? Because, I mean, these things are all, you know, are likely or could be joined up with each other. You know, are they actually risking making the problem worse? I think as well, what, what we're seeing at the moment as well is they're not a little bit off the pace and at the back of the front running teams, they are actually, or at the races we've had so far, they're actually being challenged by the midfield teams. And in some circumstances, the midfield teams are actually getting the better of them. Like Force India springs to mind. They yeah. all, they seem a stronger team and have a stronger car and package as a whole than McLaren do this season. So that's a very, very long way to fall back. I mm. personally don't think they can climb that far because we know McLaren are good at development, but I think they, they need to 
to have started off from a better base. They need have needed to have been maybe full fastest and they could have brought their way back up to sort of the yeah. front maybe midway through the season. But I think they've started off so far back now that any development that they do, they're probably going to be only fighting to get back into the top running teams. I don't think they're going to be competing probably for the rest of the season unless they have some kind of major breakthrough with the upgrades. Yeah, I think um, uh, Martin Whitmarsh mentioned that there are some major ones coming, I think, ready for Spain. So I think I got the impression that he said the next couple of races, and you know, referring to China as well, are, are still um, going to be challenging. Now, personally, I think after those upgrades, unless there is, are massive improvements, um, I think they do have to start looking at um, focusing on development for, for next year's car, really yeah. do, because you're almost looking at what, a quarter away into the season. Yeah, so I think, um, I think and they, like I say, it's a good point. Uh, and the problem they're going to have is a lot of the other teams will all bring upgrades as well. That sort of, right, when yeah. they come back to Europe, because it's close to their bases, it's that's the famous race that everybody gets massive upgrades when they come back to Spain, because yeah. it's the first one in Europe. They're only a um, matter of some of them. Well, I don't know. You could you could drive there in less than a day, whereas the mm. other ones, everything has to be shipped out by yeah. by plane. So everybody's going to be bringing upgrades to that race. So, like I say, I think that could be their last throw of the dice if that doesn't bring them right back up into the field i think they've got to write this season off mm. I mean, what, what also perplexes me i know this is a little bit a little bit off the topic but about how they it seems that the development choice has been um revolutionary as you've mentioned on previous podcasts rather than evolutionary but what i what i can't quite seem to fathom is is it revolutionary in preparations for next year's car or was it just a big um a, a big foundation change for for this year um, I believe that um, actually I, I, I really wouldn't like to say I think the changes next year are going to be too different I don't think they could run cars mm. that they've got this year in any real same kind of form for next year but then why have they gone for revolutionary like say rather than evolutionary just to see it out maybe they have mm. got half an eye on testing mm. stuff for next year as well possibly I, I don't know I, I, I do if if they can't carry some of this car over to next year with the new regulations I cannot see any reason why they've gone totally revolutionary this year. Yeah, well, we certainly have to see in the next few races, and I think um, I think certainly the the uh, I think the only thing that I think they've got going for themselves at the moment is the fact that the the car certainly doesn't seem to um, wear the tyres um, as much as some of the other more advanced teams at the moment, and I think they would probably look to be going on fewer stops as much as they can. As I say, both drivers are considered to be uh, good at looking after their tyres as well. So I think that's their own their only hope, really, at the moment. OK, so next up to discuss is Pirelli tyres again, the next uh, the next part of what we've, I know we've been discussing over the last few podcasts as well. But um, come to light even more so, I think, uh, over this uh, Chinese Grand Prix weekend, um, and the fact that really is there a place in NF1 for tyres that really only last a very short stint of laps, i.e. the softs that have been brought to this Grand Prix? Uh, yeah, that's it. This was the, the whole story again, which just triggered off by the um, drivers' reactions after the practice mm. on Friday, where um, they run some tests in, and it was Lewis Hamilton, I believe, that said the tyres are literally just disintegrating after two or three laps and that all the life's gone in them. And when Pirelli run their own independent tests, they worked out that just at a standard rate of normal race, the tyres are only lasting six laps. So uh, is there really place in the pinnacle of motorsport for tyres that only last six laps? Yeah, I, this is the the thing I know you've mentioned before about, um, you know, the Pirelli tyres, about how, how that looks in, in the wider scheme of things. You know, yes, if you're yeah. really into F1 and you're really into 
um, understanding uh, the, the nature of the ties, you will understand that they're purposefully done like yeah, this. Yeah, so that's, but, that they're made. They're made to fall away yeah. by design. They're not. It's yeah. not a bad design. But you've got to wonder about, you know, generally um, across, you know, the, the every the every man uh, or the every person that would look at this and say, oh, we know that um, there's been a lot of complaints about the tyres, that they've been falling off about what generally that has the reputation of the, the, the company, you know, because... Well, so, um, so just jump on you, that's, yeah. that's the problem. Even if you're looking at F1 from the outside, when you read in a newspaper saying about F1, it's generally what the drivers are saying and the results of the race. Yes. Not, yeah. And a lot of the drivers are saying these tyres are going off. That's, that's right. the big yeah. thing that's coming out. There's no... There's no description in what the drivers are saying as to why they're going off. There's no background to say this is what Pirelli were asked to bring. Yeah, yeah that's it, exactly, mm. yeah. Yeah, and I, I think personally, um, whilst we saw the teams, we did see the teams start to get a hand on it last season and or towards the end of the season, I should say, and they, you know, the, the races were starting to become a bit processional. You know, I think this year it's going a little bit too much the other way. And I think the arg- the argument or the point of view is becoming more stronger, in my view, that, um, you know, drivers are not racing as fast as they can often enough or for a long enough period in the that's races. It. It's, it's about getting it. more and more evident about tire management. Yeah, I say this. It's the it's the um, uh, I, I know it sounds like the same thing, but it's the driver that can get their car to the end of the race the quickest as opposed to the driver that could drive the fastest that's winning yeah. the races now that's right and it, whilst I don't agree with a lot of things that uh, Jacques Villeneuve said in some of his impromptu um, uh, discussions with BBC in the commentary <laughs> uh, this weekend he did uh, needless to say of the uh, red glasses he was wearing but um, the um, he, he did he did allude to that point that he said it's down to the the I think he made the comment of the quickest driver rather than the fastest or something like that and I I do take his point in that you know in isolation there because the, I personally feel that you have to um, develop a tire that um, obviously if it's if it's soft it will wear out quicker if it's hard it will last longer um, either either or will obviously last longer accordingly. And I think there has to be quite a specific operating temperature. But what I don't think they should be continuing is this um, this in between where they're not wearing out, but they're not getting the grip either, and they're not and they're losing the grip too quickly, in my opinion. And as you say, it just it just puts doubts in the drivers' minds. It stops them from driving as fast as they can. And if Formula One is about driving as fast as you can, um, it's it's starting to indirectly. Uh, move away from that isn't it the principle of what the sport's about i think there's that because they, they you've got that sort of unknown area as well if they don't know when the tires are going to fall off the cliff they can mm. have a rough idea but you can run as many simulations as you want and the tires won't drop off at the same point it all depends the kind of where the strain you put them through going mm. through the race and i think this this is the big problem what we what in an ideal world what we would need from the tires is um say for a 60 lap race that you knew that your tires were going to last um 20 laps of going flat out Mm. and if they didn't quite last maybe you have to back up a little bit but you don't want to be managing you you need more set parameters they need to last a certain amount of time and maybe if a driver pushes harder they wear out quicker yeah not this complete uncertainty if we've got absolutely well we've got no definite idea of when the the performance is just going to suddenly drop off and we're even going to struggle to get back to the pits to change them I think that's a very good point. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's easy for us to say because I mean, we, we don't have uh, an, an idea as to how to technically implement it, as you know, I'm sure um, Pirelli could do, but to other tyre manufacturers. But it does need to have this, albeit an understandably tricky balance, between 
um, as you say, making it enough, robust enough to be within a certain uh, amount of parameter, you know, or to be I mean, within yeah, certain the, parameters. Yeah, so that, that's what I meant. Was, I probably wasn't clear enough on that as well. The, the fact that they've bought soft tyres to two races and some of them they're going off after maybe 10 laps and some of them they're going off after six laps. There's no consistency between what, what they're bringing mm. to the races in, in terms of tyres. Yeah, and, and I think, don't get me wrong, you know, in, in some respects, um, we, we don't want to start going back to the processional races because the teams get too much of a good idea out of it um like you say perhaps you with each, with each um tire uh submission every year you know the amount of wear uh, overall is, is tweaked slightly you know it's, yeah. it's tweaked to the extent where it makes the difference um but not to perhaps the extent is i think is our, is our point that we're finding now especially on the softer sets of tires that we're finding um, and that's causing, um, you know, as you say, more, uh, people to be cautious rather than yeah, um, looking to drive as fast as they can. I think you still you still definitely need that element of um, uh, not not the unknown as such, but a, a little bit of the unknown that if I really push my tyres, they're going to go off quicker. And it's you don't know when they're going to go off quicker if you're pushing them. But at the yeah. minute, you're almost getting a lottery. It's you're not you're not even pushing and they're still going off quick. That's yeah. a weird yeah. kind of sort of scenario that we see coming up and well i think last year before the teams got a hand on it it was literally described as the tire lottery and mm. I'm, I'm you see people like sort of williams and that which was good for them winning last year but i don't think it was on merit i think it was again that tire lottery and that's the thing you don't yeah. really want you want to bring it closer together but you don't want just to make it a random throw of the dice as to mm. who's going to win okay we'll move on to our prediction section so i'll start by asking cole for his predictions so who have you got down for pole for this race Okay, so I've got uh, Lewis Hamilton down as pole. Um, he's been a good qualifier so far this season, I think, and I'm banking on Mercedes bringing the upgrades needed to uh, ultimately take him, take him first place. And obviously I'm factoring in the fact that um, typically Red Bull and these high-speed uh, straight tracks don't perform as well. Okay, and who have you got for the win? Um, well, I'm actually going to go for Rosberg. I know that's a bit of a, a strange one, but um, I'm going to say that he's going to qualify very close uh, to Hamilton as well. Um, and I think after the last uh, race, I'm by no means saying that Hamilton will let him pass, but um, I think he'll have that extra. Well, Rosberg uh, definitely grit. seems to have the race pace, doesn't he? So. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm going back on race pace, but also the extra grit and uh, determination to, to win through this time round. Okay, now, Tony, for your prediction. So who do you think is going to be the pole sitter? Okay, I'm going to go with Rosberg for pole, I think. I It's a difficult one because I, I, I know he put the perfect laps in the perfect conditions last year. I'm not, season, yep. Yep, I don't think we're going to see that from him again this year, but I think he likes the track. He, he obviously knows it because, like I say, he, he managed to, to put together that perfect lap. And, yeah, I think Mercedes have got the definitely the, the one-lap pace this year. Okay, so who do you think's going to win the race? Um, I'm going to go for Fernando Alonso, I think, because they've looked fast in the, the practice sessions. And we, we all know they're good at start, so all they've got to do, as long as he he doesn't have a qualifying disaster and he qualifies somewhere near the front, I think he might get the, the jump at the front and then possibly just stretch out the lead. Okay, now for Jess's predictions, who do you think is going to be fastest on Saturday? Jensen Button. And who do you think is going to win the race on Sunday? Lewis Hamilton. Okay, now moving into qualifying and Q1, there was very little action from any team in Q1 really, but uh, 
with the drivers that are out there, both the Caterhams um, at the back and then both Marushas um, and then Bottas and Gutierrez filled the top slots. Yeah, I think it, this was um, order of the day was tyre saving here, I think, and it, it showed from when I I watched it live and then looked back at the highlights and I think they um, showed the highlights of the pit lane opening at 20 minutes and then it suddenly um, clicked through to about 12, I think, as the first car came out. So eight minutes have just sat there not doing anything. There's another strong performance from Bianchi, um, who is quickest uh, of the small teams again. Uh, yeah, and by quite some margin again as well. He, both the Mauritius out-qualified both the Caterhams once again, has, has now become kind of the, the way things Regular are just going occurrence. this season. Yeah, yep, that's it. And Bianchi was actually um, seven-tenths up, or just under seven-tenths up on his teammate, Max Chilton, as well. And very, very quickly, or sorry, very, uh, very fast behind um, the pace of the Sauber that was in front of him. I think it was roughly about eight tenths off the pace. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, uh, Gutierrez is, um, I think he's still learning and suffering a little bit. So that's maybe not his true pace. But still, we're, we're not the two to three seconds behind that we'd seen from Mauritius in previous years. They're right up on the tail now. And it just shows that it's only going to take an off day from maybe Toro Rosso, Williams or um, the Saubers again. And Bianchi might actually be getting up into Q2 through his own merit. Do you think that's a, a, a constant target for Marussia, do you think, to get into that Q2? Um, I think it has to be. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I think it has to be becoming a more and more sort of um, relevant target as they go along. OK, and that leads us into Q2, where the big story was Mark Webber being disqualified for not having enough fuel left in the car to provide a sample. Yeah, so I understand they wanted to uh, quote, I think, quarantine the fuel uh, Bowsers. So uh, the, the only Bowser I know of is the one in Nintendo. So I don't know what uh, what that's all about. I believe it's something to do with the f- fuel pressure. But um, perhaps, perhaps they did. It... They did indeed have Bowser from Nintendo <laughs> on the fuel Bowser, and that's where <laughs> it went wrong. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it must have been. But uh, yeah, so it looked like whether that was truly the problem I, I remember seeing some of the engineers look at the um, the fuel pump machine is a technical term but um, yeah just to, to registering whether it's actually put in the fuel it had done or whether they've just run it too close to the mark it's you know we'll never know 100% for certain I think but um, it, was, it was officially said that it was mechanical failure mm, in the interview mm. but like I say whether that is the case or whether it's finger mm. trouble as they call it yeah indeed um, but, but yeah I believe so, yeah. Uh, it was quite it was quoted i think um, obviously you have to provide one liter of fuel for a sample and uh, when Weber pulled up his car and i say this is unconfirmed this is what i saw he only had 150 milliliters of fuel left in there so um it was debatable as to whether he would have even got back to the pits let alone had well he, he wasn't going to provide a full fuel sample that, that's, mm. that's for sure so Indeed. Um, do you always have to provide a fuel sample at the end, or do you only when it's requested? Uh, no, you always have to provide it. It has to oh, be. Right. Ev- everyone has to give a litre of their fuel, bar none. Right. And it's it's basically just to check that they're using the the right type of fuel, and it, it basically yeah they haven't put some kind of souped up rocket fuel in there. But mm. yeah, so um, Weber's woes continue, I guess. But um, yeah, indeed. Yeah, the, so... the, the one the one thing that I don't quite understand about this is how. At the pinnacle of motorsport in this day and age, they, I know they've got the technology to deliver a very specific amount of fuel, but why they can't weigh, say, have a removable tank that they weigh before they put the fuel in the car, register what's supposed to go in there, and then weigh it again just to make sure it has delivered at least within the area of what they expect, because they were sat around in the in the pit lane for long enough that that procedure wouldn't have taken more than 20, 30 seconds. 
and then they would have been back out. It might have delayed them another 30 seconds while they put more fuel in, but surely that's got to be better having just a little manual little manual check before they go out than letting the car go out and run out of fuel because it was it two we've seen it happen three times in two seasons now we've had Hamilton Vettel and now Weber that it's all happened to have we uh, are you able to weigh the car um, um, when it's out on the grid uh, no just I, I was thinking more you've maybe have a removable tank in oh, the, I see, right. uh, of the in the fuel delivery system and then you know what the tank weighs when you put it on there you put the fuel in the car then you weigh the tank and then you take out what's what was in there from what's left in there and then you get the fuel that you've delivered basically some manual measure of how much fuel has left this tank basically but i I don't know maybe i'm oversimplifying it but i just don't understand why it all has to be done by machine and there's no manual manual check that they can do to make sure when they've got the top when they've clearly got the time because everyone sat in the pits for at least five minutes before going out so Indeed, and machines are fallible as well. So um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll and, and I say it seems to be happening happening more and more now because we've seen it say happen to Lewis Hamilton last season, mm-hmm. Vettel last season, and now Weber this season. So that's that's two years and three occurrences. It's not it's not commonplace, but at the pinnacle of motorsport, I think it's more common than it probably should be. So moving on to the rest of the qualifications and the dropouts over this period. So we also lose um, Vern, uh, Maldonado, Perez. Uh, and both false Indias. Yeah, I think not too much surprising there. Maybe Perez a little bit surprising, but considering McLaren's woes, as we spoke about earlier on, I think probably Button done a little bit better than he maybe should have done in getting into the top 10, and Perez was probably, what do you think, just about where he should have been? Hard to say, really. I suppose it depends on what ideas they have, uh, because the attention, I suppose, is less focused on them in the middle of the pack at the moment, or what what the plans were around, um, you know, doing a certain type of qualifying for the race, perhaps. But um, I, I suppose I think he should have at least been um, been getting into Q2. I think personally, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's yeah, like I say, he. He probably should have been aiming it, even if it was just tenth place, and maybe not even Indeed, running yeah. for at least yeah. getting there. Yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I agree with you on that one. But and the uh, surprise of the session, sorry, go on. So, no, I was just going to say on Perez as well. Maybe to cut him a little bit of slack as well. He's in a new team. He's still learning as well. Perhaps he's mm. still just getting used to things in the car and and the general way of that things are there. Indeed, but uh, I think the surprise of the session was uh, Ricardo finishing ninth, uh, getting into Q3, which uh, which was a big surprise from Button over the team radio. <laughs> uh, yeah, he even received a yeah a small wow from Button that uh, that he was in the um, in the top ten. So and put in a competitive time as well. It wasn't just that he scraped in and happened to be best of the other teams and maybe benefited from Perez being a bit lower down. He actually did put in a competitive time as well. Yeah, he certainly seemed a relaxed figure, um, you know, at the time when he's been interviewed afterwards as well. So, yeah, you know, perhaps he is being uh, touted as a potential Weber replacement uh, in the future, certainly if he carries on, because uh, I think he, he, he started off quite well last season as well and then and then dropped off and you could tell his evident frustration. So I think if he continues this sort of qualifying going forward, I think he's got a pretty, pretty good chance. Yes, and I'm not, I would have to go and check it completely, but I believe he may have even had two retirements this season. So we've not seen truly where he actually finishes as well. Sort of his true, his true race performance from, from start to finish. But I, I say I would have to check that, but I have, I have a suspicion he may have retired both the first two races. Okay, coming into qualifying three now, and uh, very little action for the vast majority of Q3 as all teams choose to uh, save the tyres, uh, which I presume is a, as a result of the degradation with the softs. Um, as a result, uh, Vettel, Button, and Hulkenberg elected not to set a fast lap, so are able to start on the um, harder prime tyres in the race. 
uh, yeah, I think this this was it because Pirelli were predicting the tyres were only going to last um, six six laps under race conditions. So I think people chose to only set one flying lap so they could at least try and push them as far as possible to give them the best chance of only having to do a minimum number of stops then for the hard tyres rather than literally everybody diving into the pits at the end of like lap one or lap two. So just very quickly then. So what are, what are the, the rules on on you know around how how they're supposed to behave in, in qualifying? Okay, basically what they do is once they get into the top ten, anyone outside of the top ten, they can start on whatever tire choice they want. They've got completely free reign of it. Anybody in the top ten, they have to start on the tires that they set their fast qualifying lap on. So of course, as um, the only one of those three that started on the hard tires was uh, to set a time was Button. And what he done was he just set a very slow time on the hard tyres. So he mm. didn't take any life out of them, basically. All he done was register the time to get himself ahead of Vettel and Hulkenberg. Mm. But because Vettel and Hulkenberg didn't set any times at all, they have no time, um, no timed lap on any tyre for that last session. So they're then effectively allowed to start on whatever tyre they want because they never set a qualifying lap. Eddie Jordan made a, a comment that, um, in his view, I think, if you don't uh, set a qualifying lap, he feels that there should be a rule in place to uh, force people to start on, on the soft tyres. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that'd be a well one way of going about it, because then people don't get the choice and they have to then just be set on them tyres so they can't change their strategy. Or maybe another thing they could look at doing is just giving back um, qualifying tyres like we ha- we've had in the past before, where once you're qualifying is done on the set of tyres you basically just chuck them out and you you everybody gets a fresh set and can start on what they want anyway yeah i, I, I think it's um i think it's a tricky one because i think one of the, the the things that uh has also been noted though is that um obviously as a result of why these um tyres are particularly difficult is it's in a way i feel it's good very you know variance between the teams that some people you know some drivers taking a different strategy others others going for the um options for example and i think that makes for an interesting race so I don't know. I don't know whether there was there's ever going to be a happy medium where you can get this level of variance in qualifying and, and different race setups because that, that does make things interesting, but also not spoil the race as a result of the, of the, well, they, of I the think tire they, they, degradation. They could, they could still do that in qualifying with the qualifying tyres because they would still... Uh, maybe they have to they get a brand new set of what they qualified on. So if you qualified on hard, you could have a brand. Yeah. You don't have to start on the tyres you qualified on. But like mm. I say, you, you may, you'd probably still see people even given the free choice. Some would go. They would still split the strategies. I think to try and do something a bit different. Yeah. So you you almost want to um, adjust the rules. I think to give people certain parameters to work within. Um, yes. I think that should be the principles to in which they should they should set these things out. Um, so because so, obviously the teams are naturally going to try and think well actually I think it might be slightly better for us if we did X and other other teams might be thinking Y and, and you know this, I think that's how they want to go forward and I think that this is the problem <clears throat> I think the the idea in principle when it was set when these rules were set down was good because the tyres were a bit more robust there was less. Mm of this we have to save it in qualifying to have it in the race there was mm. that wasn't an issue when these rules were set and maybe the rules have become a little bit out of date now and the tire compounds out how they are now what happens in qualifying is bleeding over too much into the race and yes everybody is thinking about what they're going to be doing in the race rather than what they're going to do in qualifying so qualifying is now suffering for yeah, the, right. the sake of the race rather than it being a balance of the two very much so i think um 
you know, I think it's just a case of, you know, the rules just not necessarily as, as I suppose, per usual, you know, catching up with the, the other decisions of, of the, of the racing to keep things more interesting. And I absolutely agree. I think that's an interesting point that we should probably carry through for the rest of the, the season is, you know, how do we, or how do the, the rules or how can the rules be adjusted or, you know, going into future seasons or what the likelihood would be based on what we're starting to find with this season, that there's just such a high variance of, uh, of tire degradation and graining. Yeah, that's it. They need. To, I think they just need to. Even if they don't change, well, they, they do need to maybe tweak the rules a little bit. I think they just have to reassess the rules for the the situation with the tires that they have now, as opposed to the rules were set when the tires were different in the past. I just think they need to reevaluate it a little bit. And I don't think it will take a lot of change, but maybe just a tweak to the rules will um will we'll bring it all back into back into context and back into how it should be. So in terms of the teams that decided to uh, use the option tires. Um, they opted to only set one flying lap um, to save as much life in the tyres as possible, as we, as we said. So I think, but what see what that meant was we had a, a long period of nothing happening, um, and then everyone um, hitting a basically, which, which looked like a one hot lap, which I think was, which I thought was quite exciting. You know, I thought quite like to, to see that, although we, you know, it did use up a lot of the qualifying, and um, I think uh, what we saw was the uh, the drivers that you know made the fewest mistakes ended up being being at the top really, uh, which probably is the reason why some people could think that it skewed the the results at the front a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the, there was one interesting thing that, that came out as well because we had of course uh, Raikkonen setting the first fastest time, then Hamilton set a time that was faster than that, and then every other driver who then subsequently put their lap in, couldn't beat either of those two. But it was interesting to see that Hamilton's lap, he wasn't far, at no point over the qualifying, was he faster or the fastest in any section, or sorry, any sector over the Mm. track. He basically just just, put it together. Yeah, Mm. because because they were all only doing one flying lap. Basically what happened was nobody got it perfect in that one lap and he just happened to get it the best out of all of them. He just strung Mm. his, his best three sectors together in that. So it, he done well in doing that but maybe not a true reflection of the mercedes pace because maybe ferrari had they had another flying lap they may have actually finished higher than him in qualifying okay so in terms of the qualifying order we had hamilton on pole as we said um with raikkonen second Uh, alonso finished third followed by rosberg massa grosjean and ricciardo in that order so certainly hats off to ricciardo Uh, yeah definitely that was um he was still he was the slowest of the option ones but again his time was still competitive and because Vettel, Hulkenberg and Button didn't set those competitive laps that obviously put him up into seventh place which was I think his highest qualifying ever so well well done to Ricardo there. Very much so the Toro also seemed to be quite quite competitive in qualifying wet pace in uh, was it Malaysia um, when it was a little bit uh, damp and, and changeable but this is the first example I think of them being uh, quite competitive on a dry track so yeah good for them. Yes and it'll be quite interesting as well now to see how hopefully if um, Ricciardo has a um, trouble free race and doesn't have any problems with the car where he can actually bring that car home because it does look like it's got genuine pace this weekend. Okay, so that's qualifying finish, and that leads us on to the race. Um, we had a great start from both Ferraris, as pretty much we've come to expect from them now. Fantastic as, start, yeah. Again, for, and again, not just from one of them, from from both of them this time, both from flying off the start. As um, uh, the Lotus of Kimi Raikkonen seemed to bog down somewhat as he tried to pull away from the line. 
It, it was. I suppose, um, I know I probably contradicted what I've just said as well, but um, I don't know, is it is it a combination of the fact that Raikkonen's start was particularly poor with the wheel spinning, or do you think it was still the fact that he it, there was nothing he could have done and Ferraris were still going to go ahead of them, ahead of him because their starts are so good? Um, I, the only thing that I, I think we can really use from a gauge, or to gauge that, is the start of Hamilton. He either made a blisteringly quick start as well, or he just defended it very well because obviously he managed to maintain his lead into the first corner. Just so, about. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's what, yeah. Mm. So um, I think it was a bit of both. I don't think it was a horrendous start by Raikkonen, but it obviously wasn't the best. And with both Ferraris flying, as I think it was probably a 50-50. Just makes me wonder about why, I mean, obviously I suppose if this was even possible, the other teams would be doing it already, but whether why they don't analyse the Ferrari starts about if they can look at it and see about their, their rev state or how they prepare for the race on video footage because I'd be interested to see how they do it. I mean, I suppose a lot of it is actually under the hood, as it were, and isn't visible or isn't audible. Yeah, um, and, and being computer-controlled as well. You have to rely oh, on right. it's what yeah. you set into the computer as to when the car's... Um, uh, it's not launch control as it used to be. When the car is actually going to launch you, they engage the clutches and it's down to the driver obviously to disengage them and get moments like forward momentum in the car, but mm. a lot of it's all computer controlled. So it's a program that will do a lot of it for you. It's not, the drivers don't have to rev manually to a certain degree or anything like that. That's all computer controlled. And it's only once they started, does the drivers sort of manual control of the car truly kick in. So, yeah, cause uh, it's, it's very interesting because I mean, as far as Ferrari concerned, they've really got this nailed. And it's not just because the car's fast away. It's, mm. it's very consistent. It's, both cars are pulling away very quick and they're doing it <clears throat> they've obviously got it so they don't they don't ever seem to spin their wheels they've got mm. all the parameters just right all of the time so i don't think it's something based on the car like so i think it's something they're doing as opposed to something physical with the car absolutely so i mean, I mean as we go into the the you know the lights out uh, piece itself we have um, hamilton um just about holding off the ferraris um until the beginning of lap five where um, of course, with DRS kicking in, um, he was a bit of a sitting duck. And I think, um, I believe, uh, contrary, I was listening to the BBC, that it was just a factor that it looked like um, Lewis wasn't able to obviously achieve the one second gap before then, which I think was ultimately telling. Yeah, I think DRS definitely played a factor in the overtake. But I think that Lewis was already always going to be falling back into them because it looks like the Mercedes is definitely harder on its tyres than the Ferraris and the Lotuses. They seem to be able to hold on to them a little bit better. And I think his tyres were always going to go off first and he was always only going to be going backwards towards that Ferrari. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of the Mercedes and its tyre life, I think that, uh, in my opinion, that uh, I think it's a couple of laps um, shorter in terms of tyre wear um, than the other teams. Yeah, I think so, because um, I'm not sure what Alonso managed before he came in. I'm not sure whether he came in at the end of lap six or the end of lap seven. So, obviously, it's quite short on those soft tyres, but they were... Um, even when they moved on to the hard tyres, Lewis was still in two or three laps before. So, yeah, I think on, on the soft tyre, I think they probably managed at least an extra lap. It, seem, it seems it seems like um, I get the impression that, say, for example, you know, Lewis Hamilton has a certain percentage of grip. It seems that he has a much sharper drop off um, earlier than yeah. the other teams. So, yeah, the other teams are getting that drop off from the sounds of it, as you say, because they, they lap shortly afterwards. But then they're getting a, a, a smoother uh, plateau of the of grip or yeah. performance and i think that shows as well by every time that lewis hamilton came out on a fresh set of tires he instantly set fastest laps for the next couple of laps 
and then yes. his times went yeah. back to very average. I don't think that was a, a I don't think that was him pushing too hard and taking the life out of the tires. I think that was more a case of like you say he was experiencing a much sharper drop off just through mm. normal raceway. So he was he was able to go that bit quicker, but for not longer. So yeah, the Mercedes car seems to be very fast for a very short space of time, and whatever's making it fast is also, also seems to be eating those tires up a lot quicker. Absolutely, uh, certainly more for Mercedes to look at in the, in the next couple of races. Um, moving on, I think uh, obviously we're, uh, there seems to be a, an error uh, by um, Gutierrez um, at the end of lap five. Yeah, yeah. Um, one that he admitted to as well. He did. He made no. Um, to I make don't no think argument. you've got much choice, no. have you? Really? No. <laughs> very. I don't know, I've, heard, I've heard some very elaborate excuses, but yeah, yeah he, true. He, yeah. He, did, he didn't try to find one. He just accepted it. So. Yeah, that's true, and it very, very reminds me very much of Michael Schumacher in Singapore last year. It, it just kind of sort of the, the whole the whole way the, the crash occurred and how it panned out seems seems to suggest that. And uh, as you said, I think that's tipping your hat to uh, uh, driver excuses. But um, I I do wonder something occurred to me uh, when I when I saw that again. Um, we are seeing recently uh, over the last couple of seasons uh, rookies make mistakes, and of course it's to be expected because they're rookies. But they do seem to be making quite, in my opinion, larger mistakes. And I'm wondering whether the lower formulas really prepare them for Formula One as they as they perhaps previously did. Um, it seems to be a bigger gap that they have to jump to, especially in terms of speed and 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 uh, variables that they have to contend with in the Formula One car. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that you can definitely see that coming through, that they are definitely making, like you say, b- maybe not more mistakes, but definitely bigger, more noticeable mistakes. Mm, and yes, what seems to catch a lot of the rookie drivers out is how heavy and unstable Formula Formula One car is under mm. under the pure load. It's almost like they sit the qualifying laps with no fuel in. As soon as they're full up with fuel and heavy, they then struggle to get to grips with how different the cars are feeling. So mm. I don't know whether that's something the lower formulas can prepare them for. Or it may even be that the lack of young driver testing and in-season testing where they would normally cut their teeth, as it were, in Formula One has been taken away from them. They're not... They can't get that idea of just how the car's going to handle anywhere else apart from in a race. So it's it's almost like a training ground when when it shouldn't be. They should already be trained. So maybe they need to look at even if it's not bringing back bringing back in season testing. Maybe having a look at giving um, well possibly having more young driver tests because they do have the young driver tests. Maybe they need to be looking at having more of those possibly. Very much so, because I think, uh, just as I say, uh, the impact of that, um, not only is it perhaps less uh, safe, but um, it looks like Gutierrez is going to receive a five-place grid drop at the next race as, as punishment for the incident. So um, whilst I'm not saying trying to relinquish any blame as such, I'm, I'm saying that it is a, an unfortunate occurrence for him because it's only just going to hurt him and the team. Uh, yeah, I think so, definitely. And, and again, is this... Um, it's obviously hurting him as he's going going to receive the five place grid penalty but can you really punish somebody for learning or should you be finding another way for them to learn as opposed to punish them because they didn't really know what to do in the situation if you kind of get my point there yeah, I think I think they need to be a little bit more open and honest and say, well, you know, don't don't just say, oh, it's my mistake. It won't happen again in the future. You know, is it is it is it something consistent? And I think personally, if we start getting more rookies making those kind of, you know, um, mistakes, I think um, someone, whoever is in the authority to do so, actually start getting them together and asking these questions openly and say, right, you know, transparency here, guys. What do you, what are you finding? Uh, what are your challenges? Yep. And, um, and seeing what they say. And I think it's another argument as well for maybe having them um, uh, not necessarily just ruling out all rookies and putting them in the same basket. Maybe having a look at the um, 
the the rookie drivers that are getting their ticket into Formula One through um, sponsorship as well, rather than actually proven up. And maybe they have to have shown that they've won championships before the teams can actually give them a race seat as well, rather than because they've maybe finished third in a different championship and bring some money to the team that mm. maybe doesn't automatically qualify. Maybe they need stricter rules of actually yeah. how they get into Formula One. Maybe it's not a case of if a team will give you the drive, you're allowed to be in there. It's that you have to sit or you have to meet certain requirements before you get there. Like I think it was um, David Coulthard said uh, today that maybe they need to look at making the super license test or the, what you need to the prerequisites for the super license um, a bit tougher than what they what they currently are to try and maybe make the younger drivers stay a little bit longer and learn a little bit more before they make the jump up to Formula One. Okay, and we had a not-so-rookie driver also making a mistake as well, where um, Mark Webber crashed into the side of um, Jean-Éric Verne because um, he tried to come up the inside and go around the corner when um, Verne had already committed to the corner and basically both drivers left with nowhere to go. Yeah, I mean, when I first looked at this, um, unfortunately, I must admit, and I've slapped myself on the wrist for this already, my first instinct was, Vern, what are you doing? You know, it looked from a certain camera angle, we just cut into him. But when you look at it, I, I personally, my view, when you look at it from a certain angle... Um, oh, sorry, I'll wet, wet, just go back. I think, I think you're right there in a way that I think he did cut in on him. But the problem was he had already made the decision to come in. At when yeah. we made the, it was kind of they both committed at the same time and there was nowhere either of them to go. So, so he did cut in, but it wasn't his fault. Maybe. Yeah, this is it. I think he perhaps made um, a little bit more room than uh, normal. But I suppose if you look at it, if he's on the line and he's, he's into the corner already, um, with all intents and purposes on a technical basis, I think Weber has slightly t-boned him a little bit. You know, um, it 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 did. Um, it did look similar, not exactly the same by any stretch of the imagination, but when Maldonado hit um, uh, Lewis Hamilton um, in, in a race last year, and forgive me, I can't remember the race itself, but... Um, Valencia. It, Valencia. Um, thank you. So, yeah, it, it had that kind of feel about it. And I think afterwards, Mark said that, you know, he thought he had a bigger gap than, than he did. And I think, I think that actually describes what you were saying about... You know, it's um, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But it certainly looks like, though, that uh, obviously Mark's got the punishment for it. So yeah, he um, he's going to get fl- a yeah. uh, free place squid drop for the next race. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a tricky one. But, uh, yeah, I think ultimately he's, he came off the you know, one of the worst for it as well. Um, and so, course, yeah. It's a, yeah. I was going to say, No, it's fine. I was just going to say he's, he's ended up, you know, paying the price as a result, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for the next race, so it doesn't doesn't get much better for him. No, that's it. And I was, I was just going to lead it on, really, to to um, that then actually leading ultimately to his retirement, because he was then obviously forced to come in for a uh, change of nose. Um, yeah. Subsequently, then had a change of tyres as well, just because he was in the pit, really, just to get a fresh mm. set. And it turned out that his right rear tyre was not attached properly, and then had completely disattached, um, become become unattached from the car by um, by the end of the lap. Yeah, I mean, there was quite a few theories as to why that was allowed to happen. Um, Gary Anderson mentioned that there were typically some procedures in place uh, previously to stop that happening to ensure that the wheel nuts are sealed, um, but then mentioned that um, they, they'd been taken off and we weren't sure why that was the case. Um, you yeah, know, that was, that was to the, ensure that it was fixed. So that the um, what Gary Anderson was saying was the manual tethers that they used to do. So right. um, now they now the tethers are actually automatic. They lock as the wheel nuts lock in. Right, and there's um, no manual check. No, there's no. Well, they actually had to manually lock them before they actually had to right, manually tether so. them, which they don't do anymore. It's now an automatic 
procedure and that's what's been taken away is that manual procedure that Gary Anderson did allude to maybe they need to start thinking about bringing those manual tethers back so they know it's done before the car goes out yeah, possibly, as I say, because otherwise you're never quite guaranteed that it's not that the tire is gonna isn't gonna fly off, you know. Um, this, was, but, yeah. this was the case today as well, because um, in Red Bull's statement about the incident, they said that they didn't actually know that the tire hadn't gone on properly. It was only when it mm. came loose that they knew that it wasn't attached properly. It wasn't a case of like we see uh, saw we, or we've seen, sorry, with other teams where the car's actually driven away and the wheel's been loose and the mechanics have known straight away because they they've put their hands in there and said, look, I've not tightened the wheel now. Mm. Red Bull mm. thought they had done everything in that car and they thought it had gone on. According to their statement, they thought that the wheel nut had gone on. They they didn't know until it came off that there was any problem with it. Mm. So, yeah, so moving on, that's unfortunate for Weber, as I say, because I think, uh, you know, that's obviously just um, put paid to a quite, uh, quite challenging weekend. Um, Raikkonen attempted to overtake Perez and, uh, of course, he smacked Perez uh, from behind. Yeah. Um, a bit more I, contact. I looked- and the damaged yeah, nose as a result again. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, you know, I looked at this a couple of times, really. And um, whilst um, I think Perez does does move over, um, you know, Raikkonen is, is obviously quite aggressive with that as well. He's under pressure himself as well. And it's hard to say really who's at fault, in my opinion, really, that really there. Because, as I say, you have a, a potentially underperforming McLaren at the moment. Um, and he and he goes on, obviously, on the outside. Um, especially when it's, you know, up on the curb. He's got two wheels on the track. Um, at the time, and it's it's a bit of a tricky one, but he didn't seem to have been too badly affected by it. And and as well, in Perez's defence, he never actually left the racing line as well, which is, I think, mm. subsequently why he hasn't received a penalty for that. It was just, that was classed as a racing incident purely because Perez mm. didn't leave the racing line. Raikkonen got squeezed, but it was a gap that was always going to disappear, so he either had to yeah. get past mm. or he had to give up the move, and he kind of got stuck in between, and that's why he got hit, but... Yeah, yeah, like you say, the the nose coat, the damaged nose of the car, and losing a big chunk of his um, front wing as well didn't seem to affect him too badly. So he was still catching the cars in front of him and doing a fairly respectable um, pace even straight after that, and pretty much through to the end of the race because he he called for a new nose and they didn't actually change it. Lotus, it's tricky because I mean you think that the, well, we, I think we've pretty, they've pretty much Lotus have come out and and no uncertain terms or as much as they can said that you know this car is designed for the the averages of the the dry weather in you know in a lot of these races or they're hoping to to face so I think we felt or hoped that they, the car was going to perform um, quite well at race day in in dry conditions and it's turned out to be the case about whether he would have challenged Fernando even more if he hadn't had that damage it's hard to say. And obviously the war, anything for Mercedes is, is that they still couldn't um, couldn't quite catch them, as say, with a damaged nose. So it's interesting to see about all that potential the car has still. Um, and I think from what uh, some of the commentary was uh, was discussing that you know I think the the broken bit at the top isn't so bad because there's a hole typically in there anyway. There's just yes, a bit yeah. more of it, and a lot of the air that's channeled and the design of the car is channeled obviously via the, the, the front wing um, and on the wheels so I think probably the bigger impact or the bigger, biggest damage that will cause bigger impact to the car's performance is probably around the broken front wing that yes, that's, yes I was going to say yeah, I think I think that even though the, the um, carbon fibre the nose was flapping about and maybe would have distracted Raikkonen a little bit I think performance wise that's all it was ever going to be was a distraction like you say the, the big damage was in that front wing so and even then it still didn't um, didn't seem to affect it that badly it's certainly seem, seeming that um, I mean, we mustn't forget, though, that probably um, we'll come to this in a bit. I know when we talk about Vettel, but you know, Red Bull just 
aren't suited for these kind of tracks in my opinion and i think um perhaps it's been a bit of a red herring in terms of you know the red bulls perhaps no longer dominating i, I personally feel they're still the car to beat um but i think with lotus's uh, performance i certainly puts them into the the top top three or potentially even the top two depending on how consistent ferrari can be going forward and uh, yeah it was another it was another good performance for reichland very solid and very consistent and i think that's what uh, most of the top drivers um, need to concentrate on for the rest of the season yeah, and I think comparing um, uh, Lotus to Red Bull as well you've got two different very ends of the spectrum there. you've got Red Bull being very fast up there and maybe this season maybe eating their tyres a little bit more and, and wearing them out a bit quicker than they have done in previous seasons and Lotus seems to be the other end not um, blind in pace but definitely they've got the um, uh, the longevity they've definitely can eat those tyres out and like we say if that allows them to do be a little bit slower but have to do one less stop it's going to be a case of uh, which is worth more the the pure speed on the track can you make up that extra stop so it's going to be an interesting battle if they um, both, both carry on in that vein and talking of Red Bull that leads us on to Sebastian Vettel who pitted very late for a brand new set I think it was a brand new set anyway of option tyres which left him a little bit behind Hamilton but with the new rubber on the tyres he was able to close the gap very quickly and led for a very exciting finish yeah, I must admit it was. Um, I I thought he or Red Bull um, hadn't left enough laps left or left tarmac in the race to uh, to really catch him. Um, but it proved wrong. Um, I, again, I, I think uh, Red Bull are showing their competency with um, taking calculated risks and, and showing very good strategy. And I think um, really, you know, if that if that scenario had been played again, you could well have seen um, Sebastian Vettel overtake uh, Lewis in the final corners. I think um, it's, sorry, saying on that as well. I think it's fair to say they they made the best of a very bad situation because this track definitely didn't suit their car. They were never really on the pace, never looked to be up the front. So to have almost sneaked a podium, but like I say, I think it was a um, a masterstroke of um, of strategy for them. Yeah, which which leads back to my original point that I still think they're the car to beat. Um, the the track, uh, in my opinion, and, and has been seems to have been the case over the last few seasons. Um, the, the car is not. Doesn't seem to have been designed for straight line speed tracks. I, it seems that Agenui tends to favour a design that generally, on average, seems to favour um, fast and slow corners um, to increase the general lap time of the car. So yeah, basically the long short is are always going to be a disadvantage in these kind of races. And yet, as you say, they still um, nearly snatched the podium, um, and he nearly did it, and it was very very close. Um, and I think. Um, you know, it's two things really. It shows the Mercedes with um, I, what I feel seems to be tyre problems. Um, although it, 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 I don't know. I mean, obviously, I can never really tell just based on sound. But it did seem that the acceleration of the car wasn't as perhaps responsive as some of the other cars. I don't know if you noticed anything like that at all, or that was just me. But uh, you know, it seemed I don't know whether that was that can be tyre based. But the Mercedes very much doesn't. You know, seems to struggle um, towards the end of race with worn tyres. And the vet was very close. Yeah, one thing I did notice on that, the um, every time the pack closed up and that sort of um, Lewis Hamilton was um, around another group of cars, especially the ones he was racing with, um, they all of them seem to be able to accelerate out of the corners a lot faster than the Mercedes. So I don't mm. know whether they've got a fundamental problem with with the accelerating away, or maybe he just can't get the power down early enough because maybe a lack of downforce compared mm. to the, the teams that they're racing, like the teams are up there, and it may be that lack of downforce which is actually costing them costing them the speed 
I did wonder if it was downforce, yeah. Um, it certainly seems that um, Hamilton seems to be bemoaning the lack of pace. Um, as you say, well, what he means by that, um, um, we're not 100% sure. But yeah, it certainly seems like there's something there that they need to uh, improve on. Having said that, though, you know, if they can still get a podium, then that's that's still good news at the moment with McLaren's woes. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to sort of how Vettel was still able to catch him as a result. Um, I personally think if um, Vettel hadn't made those errors uh, on the last couple of corners where he slid a little bit, or I think he overcooked some of the corners, I think uh, I think he could have overtaken them. Whether that was as a result of his own tyres going off because yeah, he's so, pushing so yeah. hard on them, I'm not sure. That's but... exactly what I was going to say. Maybe he's actually taken the life out of the tyres in mm. pushing that hard just to catch up Hamilton. By the time he got there, he had he, mm. he didn't have any tyres left, but. It'd be a fascinating thing to try and know that if they could ever get that out of Vettel um, later on, because I suppose you would like to say it was down to the tyres rather than your own mistakes. But uh, it just goes back to our original point about the tyres coming off so quickly. If you can't push as hard as you can uh, and not be rewarded for it um, is is, a, is obviously a question that I think should be raised. But um, no, it was very uh, very close at the end. And I thought it was, was, was the most exciting part of the race, actually, that piece, because... Um, it, it really was an incredible comeback by them. Yeah, I definitely think so. Of course, we as well throw a caterer into the mix as well. We had um, Lewis Hamilton calling for the blue fags and them and him wanting to get that caterer out of the way as quickly as possible, which um, maybe as well held him up a little bit. But I, I think Vettel had to take a bit of go slightly offline to get round it as well. In his and I think he maybe didn't plan the best the best sort of part of the track to try and overtake mm. that page as well so maybe that played a played a part in it but so i think it de- definitely factored in but i don't think it was the cause because obviously both cars had to get past that caterham so it's neither here nor there really i don't think yeah i can kind of see it from lewis's perspective really i suppose if you spend you know if you start the the, the race on on pole position um and you then you then start to feel i suppose that it, that gets eroded away and then um you're trying to fight for um, second, third, fourth, fifth place, depending on you know where the relevant drivers were at the time. But you're always perhaps trying to fight with Kimi Raikkonen, and you just can't overtake him. And then towards the end of the race, you find a Red Bull steaming up on you. I suppose you do. You probably are thinking, aren't you, Crikey? You know, I'm bringing the life out of this car, and it just isn't competitive enough at the moment. Um, well, I do wonder as well if the early performance of Mercedes being better than what Lewis expected, uh, maybe that's raised his hopes maybe a little bit falsely. He's, yeah. He yeah. thinks there's a bit more pace in the car than he was possibly getting today and say his hopes are raised that actually, no, it might not be as bad as I first thought. Mm. I don't need to aim for next year and I might be in with half a shout this year and maybe, as he's, like I say, as he's seen cars that should have been on an equal footing or not much further than him just sailing off up the road, maybe that's brought him back down to earth a little bit in his um, expectations for the championship as well. Yeah, very much so. I think, um, as I say, uh, I think that the Red Bull sort of proved that. That um, obviously, bear in mind that I, I personally feel they are they make better decisions at the moment strategically, as well. Um, they they seem to understand what their car can can really do, um, and they just they just work around the strategy side of it. So I still think they are the the car to beat. Um, I think personally, I think Red Bull probably the, the 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 car with the most potential and the most performance over the course of the, the race so far. I think you've then probably got uh, Ferrari. I feel because of the consistency. I think then you've got Lotus and Mercedes, dependent on the track. Yeah. Um, and you've probably got the others then, which are at the moment seems to be quite a bit of a scrabble. So you've probably got the top four teams there. Um, perhaps Red Bull slightly on their own still. Uh, so it's it's just a question of development and how far teams now want to go, I think, 
um, to, to develop the cars for this year or whether they want or when is the cut off point getting ready for next year. I think as well when you do when you look at Mercedes and you look at what they actually are achieving and what they're doing, I think they've got very good one lap um, pace, but that is also seems to be their downfall as well because mm. it's, it does seem to be eating those tires. It's a very fast car, but not for a very long amount of time. So that does seem that is almost I think what we've seen every race. It's put in a very good qualifying, but the tires have faded very very quickly and left it very vulnerable to the cars behind it mm. which again that may have even been the reason that Vettel was able to close if the Mercedes was a little bit better on its tyres early on Hamilton mm. might have been that far up the road that Vettel wouldn't have even seen him or been, been in with a, a shout of even getting close to him so well as we said Hamilton did hang on for that third place mm-hmm. to finish the podium which ended up with Alonso winning the race and having a very good performance with Alonso today we didn't we're not really spoken about him much but that's pretty much because for most of the race he was out on his own in a class of his own I think today so I, I agree, and you know, I, I suppose in in previous races and in last season, you, you could say, uh, not in all, all situations, but a lot of the time that Ferrari, being consistent as they were, took uh, advantage of a lot of the bad luck or, or inconsistencies of the other teams. But I really do feel this race was when they were really very much solid and they they really deserve the the victory off their own back because yeah, they, they, won, um, yeah, yeah. They, they won on merit didn't they today they they, they, bought, they bought the yeah. car to win the race they had the strategy right alonso was in the right frame of mind he got that good start and as soon as he'd overtaken hamilton i don't think anyone was catching it. he was he mm. was up the road and gone then so yep yeah, i think just generally all-round faultless performance from um, ferrari today i think yeah so yeah, that and then obviously Kimi Räikkönen bringing home second place with a with a damaged car, which is I think now we're starting to see a bit more of the Lotus's true pace again. It's starting to even up the odds of it. We had fast in Australia, not so fast um, out in Malaysia. Back to China, it seems fast again. So obviously the averages are now starting to weigh in its favour of looking like quite a fast car as well. So I think we definitely Kimi Räikkönen. It wasn't a it wasn't a lucky win in Australia. I don't think he's going to be there or thereabouts for a lot more of the races this season. I think so too, but I think um, that will. I think, uh, as, as I said previously, I think the Lotuses uh, seem to have been designed for dry hot tracks. Um, so, I think that providing that's the case, I think they'll they'll continue to be consistently up there. Okay, then, and that brings us on to um, just a quick roundup of where everybody else finished. Obviously, we had Vettel coming in fourth after um, Hamilton and that that nice um, nice battle at the end that got every, or everybody was on the edge of their seats for. I'm yeah. sure. Um, Button bringing home uh, the McLaren in fifth, which strategy helped him doing one less stop than everyone else. But um, again, a very, very solid job from Button. He was he done everything he was asked of today and then um, bought the car home probably further ahead than it should have been. Yeah, very much further than it should have been. I think um, obviously helped by, by the pit stop, but also the fact that, and again, I think this goes back to a point about car performance over tyre management because... Um, the, the car clearly isn't uh, competitive in terms of raw pace, yeah. um, but you can still bring a car home in fifth yeah. um, if you can manage the tires. Yeah, I think that's because yeah. what, what, what he's lost in time, he's made up in not stopping in the pits for that one last time. Mm. And the and the car fundamentally isn't eating those tires. No, that's it. Yeah, um, it's, it's doing a consistent pace rather than a quick pace yeah. that drops off quickly. Whether that's the reason of why it's not competitive is, of course, a very variant factor, I think. But, um, you know, which is something I don't think I think even McLaren are looking into at the moment. But I suppose that's just evidence of how a car can technically, I don't suppose, in terms of qualifying, be in the middle of the pack, but then head up towards the front purely out of tyre management. And, uh, you know, so that that's something which I think needs to be uh, um, rationalised, I think. Mm. 
say it. And then after Button, we've got Massa coming in at seventh. Fairly ordinary day for Massa. Not really a lot of instant, not a lot gone on. Just got on with his race and got there. Um, Ricciardo coming at eighth. No, so, um, sorry, seventh. Massa. Yeah, sorry, Massa coming at sixth yeah. and Ricardo, he came in at seventh. So he um, he finished where he qualified, which was um, a very very good result for him. So yeah, uh, very much so. I mean, I know we've we've covered Ricardo already, but um, yeah, I think it's like like we're qualifying. I think it's if he can keep that consistency or even there or thereabouts, I think he's got a good chance of um, at least either going to a better team or um, or uh, maybe you know, taking them taking uh, a higher. Yeah, I was gonna say possibly even maybe taking Webber's Red Bull season. Yeah, indeed. Okay, then, and coming in eighth after him was Paul DeResta. He had um, a little incident with Adrian Sutil that set him back um, within the first few laps where they came a bit close yeah, together on one places. of the corners, yeah. and um, he's, he managed to recover well. And again, good, 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 strong showing from Force India to get up into eighth. Um, yeah, ninth, yeah. Grosjean. So, again, fairly uneventful race. Didn't really see a lot of him. And tenth was Hulkenberg, who. Um, done okay, had a little battle with Massa and then um, I think he forgot to um, or was unable to um, disable his pit lane um, limiter as he came out with a little battle with Massa so I think that might have set him back a little bit but again, fairly apart from that, fairly uneventful and I think the only other thing we have to mention really is um, Jules Bianchi, again, at the back he has consistently qualified well and um, bought the car home yeah. Yeah. Top, of the, top of the back marker teams again so um, still, still a lap down, so not quite the race pace, or not quite the race pace gap that they had in qualifying. They weren't quite as close to the midfield teams at the end of the race as they were in qualifying. But, mm. but again, they're still not by the huge gap that we were were seeing last season. So maybe some good things to come for um, Marussia and Jules Bianchi in the coming races. Okay, on to the Tech Explain section now, and we're going to look at KERS, which stands for the Kinetic Energy Recovery System. So over to Tony to explain what it is and how it works. Okay, the KERS package consists of a device that's connected to the car's braking system, which recovers the energy that would be lost under normal braking, and it also consists of batteries that then store this charge. This power stored in the batteries can then be released by the driver as and when they see fit to provide a boost in power to the car, basically um, giving an extra brake horsepower jump as and when they need it at the push of a button. The amount of energy that the drivers are allowed to use from this system is limited per each lap and the amount of boost it actually delivers is also limited as well. So careful planning of when the boost is used can be a massive advantage for drivers. There are also pros and cons of running the system. One of the, obviously the pros of running the system, you get the boost. Um, The batteries can be used as ballast in the car as well, rather than just dead weight ballast that they use to um, fill it out if they haven't got that in the car. And some of the cons as well is the reliability we've seen, particularly Red Bull having some... uh, Maybe not a dodgy, well, maybe not a dodgy curse system. Maybe the implementation of the curse system they've got, but they've had curse and races. It's cut out. They've lost it and caused intermittent problems. So you've got the reliability factor. Um, there's also an effect on the brake balance as well. It harvests the energy from the brakes and can affect quite badly the brake balance because obviously the energy that it's drawing can make it harder for the drivers to balance the brakes as they as they normally would. Also, you do have the problem of the batteries being quite heavy as well, so um, you may be limited to other things you can have on the cars. You may have to sacrifice um, some other parts of the car, basically just to get the weight of the batteries in there. 
And that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, we've run a little bit long this week as we've been trying to keep the podcast to around an hour and um, not been very successful so far. We've probably run into about an hour and 15 minutes on most occasions. So um, uh, we will try. We'll see how we get on. But um, we're not going to cut anything out just to cut the time down. If we feel stuff should be included, it's going to be in there. So um, just really left to um, wrap up now. So you can visit our forums at www.lightsoutracing.co.uk. Um, if you sign up there, you can get involved in the podcast, submit some news stories um, that you want us to talk about, or just some general feedback to the podcast, or anything else you want to see featured on the podcast. Our website is still currently in development, and we're hoping to get that open and running soon. We've had a few issues that have um, held us back on that, but we are still working on it, so I'm hoping to bring some, hope to bring some news soon of that opening. Uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, we are at Lights Out Racing. And also as well, you can now email us at podcast at lightsoutracing.co.uk. And that's about all for our podcast, and I will leave you with our small selection of outtakes. Okay, so moving on into um, the actual pole sitters, um, or the, you know, the, the guys up in the front. I'll say that again. Can we cut that bit out? Okay, and we'll go straight into the news roundup with the first story being more from the multi twenty one gate. Uh, was Weber of go- Ugh. <laughs> great start? <laughs> and the third story we'll be looking at is the <laughs> quite a long time, but has uh, come to a massive head from uh, last week's race. It wasn't last week's race, <laughs> so we'll start again. Okay, and now we'll go on to our prediction section where we will. <laughs> Okay, and that leads us into Q2, where the big story was Mark Webber being disqualified for not having enough... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. And talking of... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) Okay, uh, so moving on now to the Tech Explained (laughs) section. What, What is it?